Hi everyone. Welcome back. This is Laura Miller and this is um, episode four of the O.J. Simpson documentary. I am going to put us back where we are for whatever reason. It is not showing up easily when I click, which is strange because I bought it. All right, so we are going to have uh, episode four, which continues the trial. And I have a cat sleeping on my feet. Feel free to press play. I keep the intro going just so that we can all stay consistent. Um, and yeah, and most of this episode focuses on that trial. Um, but they revisit the scene of the crime again. We hear the dog barking. We hear the car engine. And we're going up on the road, um, I think, to... Oh, I guess that's Rockingham. 1985. So here's the, the 911 call. He'd never been on a call there. And so here is Furman in 1985 holding a baseball bat. Uh, OJ's holding a baseball bat. And Nicole is sitting. And so they have a brand new Mercedes. The windshield is smashed in. He's holding a baseball bat and she's weeping almost uncontrollably. And he tells him to put the bat down. He sees his face and there's this enraged look. And he still wouldn't put down the bat. And he had to take out his baton and say, put it down now. And then he switched off. Like, it took him that long to be able to get himself together. And when he was, he was on the normal kind of, you know, just gave the face, the game face to everybody. And so uh, it's funny how revealing these people are. He says, you know, he was unhappy that she allowed herself to be treated like this, which shows uh, no understanding of how domestic violence and victimization work, um, especially since she was probably terrified that she'd lose the kids. She was terrified that she couldn't get a job or afford to move out, which is what happens when you're helpless. Um, oh, here we go. Simpson's trial notes, thought of Nicole on the way to court today and almost started to cry. Is that like feelings for him? Um, but the other thing Furman said is, it's your life. I mean, that's in light of future events, it's really cold. At the same time, he could have killed her and, you know, later, would eventually, that's what eventually he would be found guilty of uh, doing in a civil trial. So yeah, Nicole has the safe deposit box. You know, this is what she writes in 1990, in case I should die. 
said they were going to open the case by talking about domestic violence and Nicole as a victim. That's her sister there. And I mean, as you know, you go through your life, you live your life, and anytime you have visible injuries on your face that last or that swell, I mean, it's, it's not going to just be from going about living your daily life most of the time, especially since it's repeated on multiple occasions. And he throws her up against the wall. And so this guy who was his, you know, admirer, um, you know, this is a bridge too far. When she was pregnant, he body shamed her, which, you know, like, this is really sad. This is, again, this hurts CEO compares this to a romantic relationship several times. He says it's finding out OJ killed his wife, he, he compares it to finding out his wife is a bad person, not that your friend is. Um, it's an intimate relationship. There he is getting angry. Look at him sort of with that look on his face as he's listening to this 911 call. She's terrified. You know, these are 911 operators who are professionals. I'm being portrayed as a wife abuser and a violent person. Well, you were found guilty of it. Nicole is being painted almost divine by the prosecution. Well, she's a murder victim. The situation wouldn't be reversed with him and Nicole. And of course she would go to jail if she killed someone. This is just, what a ridiculous comment to make. So here's what, here's like the, the adjacent motivation. So they were all going to go out to dinner after this dance recital that the daughter was in. Oh, poor thing. Um, and this is the thing that they didn't want him to go to the restaurant with them at the dance recital because they didn't want him there. Um, and so this is the kind of thing where he was so angry that he wasn't included in that family event. And then he tries to call his girlfriend, Paula, you know, right after 10 o'clock. She's not there. Like, how strange. It's just this fit of rage. This is one of the jurors who's speaking now. The connection with abuse and can it lead to death? She says, I don't think they proved that. And I don't know what she means by that. Like all these 911 calls where she shouts, he's going to kill me, he's going to kill me. He was angry at her on that night. And there we go. 
And this is the problem is the jurors say things like, I don't respect women who, you know, let themselves get abused, quote unquote. You know, when it gets in over your head, you'll drown. And they didn't, they did, yeah, they didn't care. That's right. Marsha Clark's right. It's not that complicated. He abused her, but that wasn't enough for them. They thought we're really going to have a tough time if our jurors don't understand how this is relevant. You know, and I think if you come from an area too where you're used to people doing time for small offenses and depending on what parts of LA they were in, they might have been surrounded by people like that. Um, and then, um, so you're used to people who are being, you know, put in jail for minor offenses, then, you know, like somebody arrests them for murder, the assumption isn't, uh-oh, this might have escalated. If you're from a community where that happens a lot, it's, oh no, they're trying to get him on a big thing when he's only done small things. Um, and, you know, and that's common. Uh, there's a, um, another uh, documentary that's on Netflix called Making a Murderer, and it's about someone who was wrongfully imprisoned on a rape trial and then um you know he's finally released and exonerated and just as he's about to um be awarded uh money in a wrongful death suit oh look at nicole she's so lovely oh there's ron you know who didn't like no one deserved anything and then the actual homicide pictures which are just grisly and horrible um here, we'll take a moment just to honor the victims. Right, this guy's a police officer. He's been in a cop for 15 years. You look at pictures of somebody you know. Yeah. I mean, the thought of seeing somebody I love in that, it's horrible. And again, if it were a robbery... You just disable the person, or if you were going to kill the person, you kill the person, but you don't keep doing it. You know. Oh, but anyway, the connection to making a murderer was that they tried to get him again on murder, and he had been wrongfully imprisoned for rape, and like they keep trying to say, oh, well, he had this record. It's like, no, he was wrongfully imprisoned for a lesser crime. So that's the kind of assumption people might make here. Oh, gosh, it's so hard. 19-year-old girl. I mean, you can see this guy has a heart. He still remembers it years later. Oh, gosh. That's so awful. It really is. It gives you so much, you know, value for human life. And so the guy turned himself in, apparently, in this first crime that he saw. They went and they picked him up. Imagine sitting next to someone who'd done that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, that is, again, it's a, it feels personal when someone does something, when they overdo it. And in his case, the strength that was evident in the kind of blows that were given to the victims. I mean, that wrong guy was a young, fit guy who played tennis, and there were two people. You know, the number of people who could actually overpower two other people were, um, you know, that's not a high number of people. And somebody who's a former NFL player is definitely what you would expect. Yep. See, this, you know, this guy was like, you know, your friendship had value to me, but it doesn't have the value where I would let you do this. Because she had value too, and Goldman had value too. And so they're trying to act like he's some kind of traitor because he didn't, you know. And so here with the talk to OJ's agent. Yes, him, do you think he told the truth? And the agent says, yes. Yep. This is so hard to watch. So somebody goes up there and says, hey, so you drink a lot, huh? You've had a drinking problem, haven't you? I mean, this is the thing that you do when you're in the defense. They painted him out to be an alcoholic womanizer, which doesn't mean anything about whether he thinks this did anything. He's he was with a blonde friend of his wife's. This is such a gross thing. So it's like every example of you being a jerk. You're not really this man's friend, are you, sir? There you go. I ran license plates. There we go, nothing except for the 1989 beating where he needed me. There you go. They came up with all these different things. This is so awful. And the thing that happens is that if they run this guy through the ring or no one else will want to testify. Because the first thing that comes up is every secret that he had. Like, you know, you cheated on your wife. Well, any other married person who's done anything wrong knows that they'll be put up on that stand and somebody could rat them out for it. And then they'll be, you know, choosing themselves and their whole lives over wanting to advocate for the victims. It's so bad. He, he decides he's going to testify and says, Here's, you're not alone, you're not alone. He's a, here are all the people that are going to be testifying. After they got through with me, this is right. Everybody got amnesia. Yep. This man has integrity, and I have respect for that. It became evident that everybody's expendable. If the Titanic sank, O.J. was going to take a life vest for himself. That is true. 
and he'll probably take yours too just in case but I mean that's the kind of person he probably was you know he let his friends get detention back in the day he took his friend's girlfriend back in the day like you know He's really engaged, but like, which is good if he's smart, you know, like that's how you're supposed to do it, right? Yeah. He looks worthy of respect. He looks like he should never be in jail. He's in a suit every day. You know, he's a. Uh, clearly looks like he's got it together he, he does look like an attorney you know in, in the same kind of suit that they have on I mean he's went to USC he's you know got a degree you know clearly had some business success um you know but the way he talks this is just another example here like you know he says he took me to the woodshed over having something in my mouth. Like, look at the look on his face. Like, the metaphor of taking you to the woodshed is that, like, you would beat someone. Right? I'm going to take you out back and, you know, give you what you need. Give you what, or give you what you deserve, rather. Probably not what you need. But as soon as the camera's gone, he's just like you know, over it. They're right. Yeah, but this is the kind of thing where you can do that. You know, what colors everybody has on. The different kind of ties. I like that Garcetti has this little, like, scarf. He's like... I'm just wear my nice scarf today. Look a little festive. <laughs> SNL, like it was everywhere. Not only on my behalf, but also on the behalf of my esteemed colleagues. Oh no, here we go. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. I feel like I couldn't handle being in that room and doing things if I couldn't have like a giant cup of coffee and a lot of bathroom breaks. <gasps> oh, Marsha. No internet, no MSNBC, no Fox. Everything was so different and it's been 25 years and it's just totally different. Yeah, it was on CNN, like, forever. I remember that. And I watched a bunch of it. I still remember that. You know, what happened today? What happens next time? The biggest story, well, the Lindbergh kidnapping, but, oh, what was the...
there we go. Yeah, more time than healthcare in Bosnia. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, a whale of a good story. Um, it's because of the celebrity, but it, the interracial dynamic is right. Um, interracial pizzazz is not a phrase I would ever use. But yeah, I mean, this is the plot of the play Othello. I mean, this is something where someone who is admired so much killing the kind of woman who is often protected and defended as this sort of like, you know, whenever a like pretty white girl goes missing, it becomes a big deal. And he's right. If OJ had killed Marguerite, this would not be the trial of the century and he would be in jail. But yeah, that's true. It's weird that it they're saying it doesn't feel like a real murder case. It feel, if media circus is right because he just he changed the conversation, I guess is what you have to do. Don't kill anyone, but you know. Like she's just trying to do her job. What's the significance of the white dress? What does it mean? It was clean. <laughs> that must have been exhausting. Look at the way TVs were. It's kind of great. Oh, and even like the people who were on the prosecution team, you know, everybody has to hear about her custody battle and like whether she's a good mom or not. Like it never ends. There you go. OJ girlfriend. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's Kato Kalin's girlfriend, I guess. Oh my gosh. It is so strange how big a deal it was. Maybe this was a turning point in terms of how news cycles can change. I mean, honestly, the biggest thing since this was just the fact that, like, even when Trump was running for president, like, he was news no matter what he did. You know, here, no matter what happened at this trial, it became news. You know, what kind of knife did he had? Did he have, rather? There you go. When does journalism become marketing? I mean, that's there right now. But people want this. We have to give them this. Yeah. I mean, this is a newscaster, Connie Chung. You know, Nicole's BFF. Yeah, it's really amazing sort of, you know, to see how we got to where we are today. All Kato with your highlights. Bless your heart. Look at that. Sky. <laughs> it's got a tuxedo on. It's just so bizarre. Even the judge. Yeah, so Larry King was on CNN and they uh, had an interview. 
after the show is over, after the trial is over. It is like a show. Yeah, they really were. That's a sort of like uh, giving the visuals of a um, 70s love boat TV show. So this guy, Mark Furman, Yeah, every day more comes out about this Furman. And so the thing is, like, two things can happen and both be true. O.J. Simpson can be guilty and Mark Furman can be a terrible racist person. Like, both of those can be true. Um, and everybody deserves to be called out for it. However, the way the narrative was constructed, and I guess for an English class, this is a good thing to think about. Oh, hey, South Africa. Yeah, Furman wanted a job in South Africa during apartheid. This guy sounds trash, right? Oh, dear, dear, dear. Oh, my. So this guy is, is awful. So he sees a Corvette with a black guy and a nice-looking white girl, and he started saying a bunch of terrible things about how unconstitutional that was. I don't think people know what the Constitution is. <laughs> oh. This must be so awful. Yeah. I mean, this was a thing that I learned um, from reading about how Francois Truffaut worked when he worked on films. He was a famous French film director in the 60s and 70s. And his secret to kind of getting along with everyone on the film set was to like pick a scapegoat and dislike that person and everyone else is fine. Um, and apparently that worked very well for him. It's a very French film director kind of thing to say, I guess. It seems like a dick move in retrospect, but you know, like maybe it was someone who wasn't there much. Um, so, uh, you know, like obviously there were probably a lot of terrible people involved in this, but like Furman, you know, like seems, I mean, he's obviously racist from the things that he said and did. Um, and if you all of a sudden, you know, cast him as the villain, then the entire rest of the story becomes self-evident. Even though the actual evidence and the facts state other things. Like, in order for him to plant that glove, he would have had to have stolen it from the crime scene with no one seeing him and somehow transported it with no one knowing this blood-soaked glove and gone all the way over to the other house and have known who this woman's husband was and you know I'm being like it's 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 appalling yeah exactly nobody thought I actually planted it but they wanted to raise the question so you know yeah, framing a guilty man. So so here's what they think is cops plant guns, cops plant whatever, just to make sure that a guilty person, you know, is guilty. 
So they have to justify it and make sure that the guy gets extra convicted in case there might not be enough evidence to convict. Yeah. Which I guess makes sense, but like, you know, it's... It doesn't make any sense because like, you know, why the, the, way, the place where they find the glove is behind where that Cato guy lived and he heard a bunch of banging around there. So of course it's possible that a glove would be dropped because a glove was dropped in one place. Why wouldn't you drop it in another place? It's pitch black out. Yeah, there's no conspiracy. Who has the time to conspire? Yeah. Yep, and that's what Cato heard. Yeah, exactly. He didn't know who killed the person. He's willing to sacrifice his career and be convicted of a felony for planning evidence, even though he doesn't know any of these people except that, you know, like maybe he would have remembered that nine years before he'd had some involvement with this, but I've... I don't know what I would have remembered. Like, it probably would have just looked like a horrible crime scene. And he might have remembered that this guy sucked, but he might not have even known that it's the same woman. And it doesn't sound like he had a lot of sympathy for Nicole anyway. But again, like, he's crappy. Like, he's a terrible person. There's just like... I mean, I love L.A., but I guess the moral of part of this is that there's a lot of crappy people there. They do a really good job with atmosphere. You know, taking us down the actual streets at the right times of day. But even if you take out the gloves, like, who, who obviously does this kind of crime, you know, like, who had the strength to do it to this extent, who had the motive and means and the opportunity, that's what they always say in cases like these. Yeah, he hears a thump like it sounds like an earthquake. Only one person is going to make that kind of sound. It's going to be somebody who's, like, used to breaking through lines in the NFL. Yeah, the jury thought this was a nice guy. So there you go. There's the air conditioning. Here we go. What I now identified as possible glove. Yeah, these little charts were really instrumental in a lot of court cases because, um, you know, having that kind of visual present before we had, like, projectors and PowerPoint um, you know, helped people to convince juries. And so people like the defense could afford to do things like that, which were expensive at that time, um, to do those kind of graphics and those kinds of representations to really like bring scenes to life. Um, you know, I don't think the prosecution had that level of support. I mean, they would have things blown up on foam core, but not necessarily, um, you know, a series of graphic designs that all work together. I used to uh, 
way, way back in the day in downtown LA after this happened, obviously, uh, what, long after this happened. I mean, I was younger when this happened. Um, I uh, worked for a company that did that kind of consulting and I was a, an editor uh, of like cases like these. Um, and so you get, you know, briefs and stuff from attorneys and you have to turn like lists and bits of information into graphics. It's one of the kinds of things you can do with an English major, I guess. If you have graphic skills. Oh, hi kitty cat. The cat is visiting. Her name is Midnight. I mean, they just try to make people look guilty with these crappy questions. You didn't tell anyone where you were going. Oh, look at the red Solo cup. Classy. Um, if it's a Furman, you're going to be making money all day long. Because when you cross-examine... Didn't it seem strange to you that after seven and a half hours, that glove still showed moist, sticky blood, Detective Furman? He's like, I don't know. I don't know how blood is on a glove. Also on a glove, have you ever had a wet glove like dropped in the shade? They're trying to argue that it's encased in plastic or a baggie and you know, it stops evaporation. It's just so absurd. I mean, he sounds like he was honest. He sounds like he's a crappy person. Yeah. And so F. Lee Bailey was a very important uh, sort of showboating type attorney. That was about certain language that some might find offensive. So they thought he was okay at first and then all of a sudden it changed. If you use that word in the past 10 years, yikes. Oh my gosh. Also, like, I mean, I know that, like, Darden was wrong to act like that word would prevent people from judging anything accurately. But, like, if a terrible white guy uses it in a courtroom, that's bad too. Like, I don't think white a white guy should have been pros, like cross-examining him. I don't know. We can debate that, though. You know, should you have had a white or black attorney, since they had both, um, cross-examine him using that offensive term? Oops. Let's see. All right, we're still recording. Sorry, my phone fell. Oh my gosh, I never, like, I'm sorry, everybody. Now he's just saying it as much as he can. Um, just to, I don't know why. I didn't use that word to people, face-to-face, -face, suspect to police. Had I ever used the word? Ugh. I don't know.
it'd be really hard to find a way to use it. But I mean, I guess I'm not from that environment. Also, people who think racism only happens in the South, this person lives in LA and is using it. So that's just a side there. Yeah. But it's so weird the way they talk about things. Like, yeah, so many believe city is ripe for theory that white cop frames up and that's absolutely right. Like, if you tell someone, well, the solution to this problem, if you don't want to think this sports hero is a murderer, um, how about we think that, oh my god, it's just so heartbreaking to see. Um, there, I mean, he had cuts on his left hand on the middle knuckle you know if you had done something with your right hand you know and there we go five blood drops were found between the crime scene and wherever and it was his blood it was him at the crime scene in the Bronco, Nicole's blood. I mean, these are things that are so obvious. Ron's blood. I mean, this guy doesn't even know this Ron guy. Why is Ron's blood in the Bronco? And they say it's Bundy, but she's on Gretna Green, which I guess is off Bundy. Yeah, then there's blood in the house. Yeah. So they think, okay, well, fine, we're going to use the DNA thing if they're going to just, like, get really angry based on, you know, like, this Furman guy being racist and terrible. So they have all these blood samples, because if there's one thing there was in that crime, it's, you know, it's blood. Oh, and this is right. The DA is right to say... You know what? I really wanted to be a hero and say that this wasn't him, that he was innocent. I read mystery books all the time. I want to be in the parallel universe that, you know, that includes uh, mystery books. Says a lot of people stayed supportive until the DNA. This is another like old white dude with an ascot. And then he said, I was 99% sure he was the killer right then. Yep. Yeah, DNA analysis used to take a lot longer. Look at his face. I don't know. It didn't happen. I didn't do it. He had six, seven, nine behind the scenes attorneys. Both Barry and Johnny. Barry did the science, and Johnny did everything else. And Barry did everything else. Yeah, I mean, if you were a DNA expert at that time, and uh, you also had a law degree, you know, you could do a whole lot of things. You know, so again, when they interview these jurors, you know, these are people who sat there every day on this case for six months. Oh my gosh. 
Yeah, this guy is very, like, dramatic. So this is troubling, and this happens all the time. Um, when people go to a crime scene, especially one where it seems very obvious what's going to go down, which is, this is a woman, here's her estranged husband, this is a double murder where very obviously someone very, very strong had done it. They find a bloody glove at one place, they find a bloody glove at the other place, they find you know, like different kinds of blood everywhere. There's blood on the handle of his car. There's all this stuff. So you look at it and like maybe they weren't as careful as they could be because they had just so much evidence to do with and they didn't process the crime scene very well. Like he touched an envelope with his hand. Like that doesn't mean that this guy didn't do anything. But like... Yeah, they hadn't, they had let contamination possibly happen. At the same time, that doesn't mean it's not his blood. Like, that's the thing, DNA happens independently of that. You know, it's not like all of a sudden your DNA fingerprint is totally different. So people avoid covering up a body because of contamination. And they had covered her. Or was it Ron Goldman? I can't remember which. It was somebody in the house that, like, they had grabbed a blanket and put it over the body because it was so horrible and so violent. You have to protect evidence. Cameras were everywhere. Yeah, I mean, they were like, these are these poor people. Like, you would never normally do that, but what are you supposed to do? Yeah, so they have this blanket and they're like, oh, well, that means that the entire thing was, you know, shouldn't, should be thrown out. But that's not true either. Like, yes, it's true that it's bad. Yes, it's true that they did a bad job. And of course, now I think people are much better at gathering evidence. Um, but, you know, what you have when you have a lot of wealth and you have a big defense is you look at every single thing. And you talk about every single ideal process and then you break it all down and you, and you ding them on every single thing you can get them on. This is what academia is like in a lot of ways, you know. Did these people make a perfectly, you know, adequate crime scene cleanup? Probably. They found all the little bits of blood. They photographed them. Apparently it took them three weeks to find a little teeny tiny dot, you know, like... You know, is that wrong? I don't, you know, like it's a, it's a drop of blood. So she went to the whole trial. I love that she went to the whole trial. Good job, Linda. Linda J. I mean, it's, it's hard to even tell, like, you know. Like, that f picture is fuzzy, but maybe they did do something. I don't know. But basically, the way... Yeah, exactly. In the fog of war. You know, things get missed, or... 
you know, like your goal is to process this elaborate and really difficult crime scene. And maybe you have like 400 things to do, especially considering the difficulty and the kinds of analysis people are trying to do. And if you have 400 things to do and you screw up a dozen of them, you've still done a great job. But if someone comes up and says you did 12 things wrong in processing this crime scene, you look like you're terrible at it. Yeah, I mean, you can't assume that somebody took blood and sprinkled it all over a crime scene. And especially considering, like, when this happened. Yeah, so basically every small mistake you make, you get nailed. And it happens. And there are ways of, you know, most of the time, when people make small errors, the overall quality of their work carries them through. But this was sloppy, you know? They work for the local government. But yeah, this is true, though. Like, if you grow up and you think, you know, well, the LAPD is, you know, like, racist and they're going to try and nail you on anything, you know, like, oh, so the lab didn't wear gloves. Oh, so there's blood in their pocket, you know, like, there's no rationale. Yeah, so there's a black hole, like everything kind of goes into the LAPD, and then where does it go after that? There's the laboratories, there's this. So they're trying to allege that, you know, you know, they said that this was right, but it could have been any blood, yeah. Yeah, and this Sheck guy is clearly like, you know, trying to uh, give them a conspiracy to believe in. And here's the response. Okay, so he gives this whole argument that the LAPD planted the blood. Um, and so they ask him, do you think they did that? And he's like, well, it's not really my job to believe that. You know? There's certainly good evidence to support that hypothesis to help win the case. So that's what I did. And see, they're trying to like dazzle them with science too. Yeah, and this is just, you know, not the way things would have worked. But again, when you have this sort of interdisciplinary work, oh, is that an old math book? That's so neat. Anyway, sorry. Um, when you have interdisciplinary things where you have both law and genetics working together, how is the judge going to know how to rule, right? Like this guy is both an expert and an attorney. You know, how is he going to 
you know, what's the judge going to say? Like, this, you're doing the science wrong? It's not the judge's job to even know that science. It's, it's, it's clever, and he's a good person to have about, but or to have in your team, but it's one of the problems in the legal system. Also, like, you know, to be sympathetic to this guy, he's younger than some of the other attorneys in the case, at least back then. And, you know, even now he's older, but he's, you know, not as old as some of these other guys. Um, you know, like, this guy might have been relatively new on the scene. Yeah, he's like, if you're a middle-class guy, would you have a chance? He said, I would have no chance, but, like... Part of that is because there's overwhelming evidence of guilt. So this is what it's like for OJ in jail. Yeah, so he's like, okay, what can I do in here to earn money? He's like, this is the cost of my life, which it is. And we're going to learn kind of how his life turns out after this. Yeah, so he'd signed a lot of autographs. He could go to, um, you know, conventions or whatever. People would take a number into the jail. He would sign the number and they'd sew it back on the jersey. Yeah, so you take in a panel of a football, you take in a number from a jersey, and there you go, you sew it back on. But yeah, I mean, look at that, you know, $475 for a football, like, that's crazy, it's wild. Yeah, signing football cards, so 2,500 cards times $25, you'd run the math. That's how he paid for his, uh, you know, defense. He sat in jail. We did $3 million in autographs. Even the legal team. Like, people even wanted that. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine? Yeah, exactly. The Goldmans and, and the you know, in the Brown family. You know, the fact that he's signing autographs with his lawyer while at the murder trial for their kid. Or, for, yeah, like for, um, for Ron. My love is dead, and the police is no closer to catching them than they were in June 1994. Someone is roaming free. Ah, yes, the real killers. They just, these people just randomly died out of nowhere, I guess. Yeah, that, yeah, he's right. Like, if that glove is tied to three people who are all bleeding, like what, you know, whoever wore that glove killed those people? Yes. That's the thing, like, this guy sucks, but, you know, like, he seems to know what he's talking about in terms of, like, crime stuff. 
It was an exclusive glove for Bloomingdale. So again, a wealthy person's glove. This isn't some random guy off the street. This is an extra large hands. Wealthy man, extra large hands. Who would have been strong enough to do this? Who, who would have known Nicole? And then Nicole bought the gloves that were used. And they were probably bought during their marriage, like as a Christmas gift or birthday gift. You know. Yeah. Yeah. They're talking about the gloves. The glove looked big. She was 24 at the time. She's like, this is some kind of trick. The glove looks big. It's also gross to try on a murder glove. Like, who does that? They're like, we can't try this glove on. It's shrunk. He's probably been working out his hand. That's right. Absolutely not. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if as you know, if something gets wet, like leather... Like, it's, you know, it's it's all shrunken and whatever's happened to it. And, like, this is a Cinderella-type vibe, you know. Do not do this. Never do anything you don't know will happen. Yeah, I mean, it's the shrinkage, the latex, it's never going to fit in the same way. Don't do this. Yeah, exactly. It's the wrong choice. And so they had a big fight over it. So, um, yeah, so the glove is about to be, um, tried on as a stunt. And stunts are not good. Stunts tend not to work. And, uh, so they're going to have him try on the glove. By the way, I just remembered a story where um, a colleague of mine mentioned uh, for an undergraduate science seminar, kind of, you know, if you go to like a small liberal arts college, sometimes you can get your science credits doing kind of random stuff. Um, and he was in college in the 90s. And it was the chemistry of the OJ trial for a science credit. And I just love that. I filed that away um, as an example of kind of like, what one of the most 90s things I've ever heard of is, is that you could get your gen ed science requirement for the science of the OJ trial. I kind of wish we could do that where we are, huh? So yeah, it was obvious that the glove didn't fit. Again, like, you know, if you give me like a giant latex glove... And then, like, another glove that's shrunk that I have to try to put on it. I mean, obviously, he's pretending. Yeah, he's an actor. It's easy to just kind of, like, spread your hand out and be like, oh, I can't get it on. These are too big. Or these are too small. Like, who does he think Nicole bought those gloves for? You know, are these just these random exclusive Bloomingdale's gloves that, like, everybody had? No. No way. Yeah, no, it's, it, I mean, he's wearing a glove. 
yeah, this is so poorly done. Her face is just like, I hate, I hate life right now. Yeah, this was a bad choice. Yeah, I thought the judge is like, what are you doing? This woman's like, I don't like you guys. You let him play you. So this is the kind of thing where it's like, you're the weaker one. That, that should have nothing to do with whether someone's guilty. You know, this woman took it personally and said, wow, you prosecutors look weak. I think he didn't do it. Like, what? Yeah. Exactly. If you have latex underneath, I couldn't get into something. Like, and I have small hands. Have you seen people put gloves on in the past? Have, did he put the gloves on consistent with what you've seen other people? Oh my goodness. No, you screwed up, dude. And it was going to be like that. It did make them look silly. He was right. She's like, feel sorry for you because you look weak. Oh my goodness. It's cold. Oof. It's not just pumpkin spice season. It's cold. Yeah, that's exactly right. You have to know the answer of everything you ask. He didn't know whether the glove fit. He shouldn't have asked. You know, all he really needed to do was to say, you know, what is the measurement of this guy's hand? What size would you recommend for someone with the measurement of that hand? Yeah, she would have assumed it fit. She saw that it was a big glove. She just didn't like this guy. Um, you know, that's all you need to do. And honestly, it's offensive. Like, if it's obvious that that's the glove used in a murder, like, like why would you ever let something that... Like, could you imagine in a murder case, like picking up a knife and like holding it up? I mean, that's horrible. All of it's terrible. That's there it is. Exactly. Don't take your arthritis medicine and then your hands will sweat, swell up. And he said, Mike, my hands would hurt. Why would they hurt? And he goes, oh, yeah, my hands will get swollen. I couldn't bend my knuckles and. He didn't take his arthritis medicine for two weeks. You think that made a difference? He couldn't bend his hands. Yeah, I mean, it's just ridiculous. There we go. There's a lot of these aerial shots of Brentwood. And I think part of it is probably because it's a very wealthy private area with a lot of gated homes that you can't see other than like this. You know, we're just sort of seeing what wealth in Los Angeles looks like. So he would have to know that O.J. Simpson, who's six foot two and a half, he's a black guy living in a white world and he has no alibi. He was in no woman's bed. He was in no restaurant. He was on no airplane no alibi that is exactly right yeah exactly how could someone plant evidence if he didn't know that 
I said, are you telling me he's guilty? Ellen just nodded. Yep. He's just crying. Oh, here's the weird sex stuff again. I felt cuckolded. Something happened and I just snapped and I went crazy. Yeah. I mean, at least he would have forgiven him. Like, you know, like a moral thing to do if people are sorry forgiving them. But he said, I swear to God, I didn't do this. And then they realized he did. I felt wounded. I felt betrayed. It's like the way these men are talking about him. The one is like, it's like your wife wasn't what you know was lying to you I felt cuckolded which is your wife cheating on you with someone else like these are very unusual bits of language to use and so here they are at the crime scene again yeah so she thought that this guy was bringing her the glasses and that makes perfect sense, right? She encounters OJ, and then there's a struggle. He gets her in the head. So he strikes her with the other end of the knife. So parietal is part of your um, skull. So four stab wounds on the neck, three deep, one shallow. I mean, this is, and again, like, left side of her neck. And so this is during the struggle, he sees OJ and Nicole. He realizes he's been seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, this is a young, strong guy. So he gets scratched in the right cheek five times. So he tries to free himself. There we go. He goes to the hand. He pulls his hand and he probably gets the glove off which is how the left-hand glove is found in the foliage, but also how the left hand becomes injured. But then because he doesn't know this house, he's trying to run, and they describe it as a killing cage. He had bars everywhere. He didn't know where he could run to or not. There's a tree, there's, you know, stairs going down, there's just... And then he's got this pro football player, you know, g given what this how this guy's painting the scene. Oh my gosh. Deep defensive wounds. He's clearly just trying to get the knife with his hands. Oh, this poor guy. Look at him. And so he gets his abdomen, and that's what gets him. Oh, this poor guy. Yeah. 
That's so awful. Look at that. Yeah, he sinks down to the ground because he can't move anymore. And that's how he's found. So he goes back to Nicole. Lifts her head. Oh, good God. I'm so sorry. Oh, that's... I'm, I'm like holding my hand in front of my face right now. And he almost cuts her whole head off. And that's it. So he cr transfers hair from Nicole to Ron. He twists Ron's body to the side. So there are these deep wounds to the left side. Oh my god. Overkill. That's right. To Nicole as well. So it's not just there's a fight and you run away. It's you need to make sure that these people are extra dead. Okay, it's so hard to see. These poor people. So it's parked there, you know, and takes off. Here's a friend of his who says he denies the fact that he could do that, period. These great Americans in Beverly Hills, Brentwood, Santa Monica, who have me guilty, still feel cops don't lie. They don't circle the wagons and protect themselves. So there's bad news, more, oh no, there are tapes. And Marsha is like, why did I get stuck in this? Lied on the witness stand when he denied ever using the, oh, oh my gosh. I feel like Marsha Clark is like the 2020 of like people. <laughs> Like, <laughs> you know, Marsha just wakes up one day. She just wants to, like, help domestic violence victims. Pennies from heaven, this guy. Um, <laughs> you know, poor Marsha Clark. She rolls in. She's like, okay, well, we have a bunch of evidence. This should be fine. And then it's like a nightmare. Oh, my God. And then, like, this... Mark Furman guy, and then Darden with the glove, and just, you know, what's next? For God's sake, protect Marsha Clark from coronavirus. <laughs> Her face! You know, they didn't even have really good antidepressants and anti-anxiety stuff back then. I don't know if they even had Xanax, did they? Poor Marsha Clark. Oh 
Or maybe they did have it, because I think they were saying that he had had it at the funeral. Oh, gosh, but, like, I have 66 allegations of brutality, torture, all kinds of stuff. What's creepy is that he's being interviewed by a writer. And, like, the way he's talking is he's bragging about it. Characters in a screenplay. So he's trying to brag about being, like, one of the most, like, bad cops. And so he's trying to impress people. But it's awful. If you're ever in a space where you're doing that, you know, you're crappy anyway. We basically tortured them. He's bragging about it. I mean, look at what we've seen. Yeah, exactly. That's right. You know, like, you can get to truth regardless. We could have murdered people and got away with it. Everybody knew what to say. I mean, that's what happened in Rodney King. I mean, he, authentic racist. What does that even mean? Like, whatever. You know, if that word comes out of your mouth and you're a random white guy in L.A., like, yeah, you're racist. Like, you know better, and you should know better, and you still do it. All these poor people, the poor Goldman family. I know, this guy's son just shows up, that's all. You know, this, this guy's poor son... This poor guy. Like, this poor guy. This is his son. He's grieving. His son was brave and he fought really hard. He was probably trying to protect Nicole. And instead, you show up trying to get justice for your son. You know. And instead, it's like, oh, these white people frame this black guy, this poor man. And this guy's just like, what about my family? Nicole's family's like, well, what about our family? It's heartbreaking. And, you know, while this is happening, like, this guy being a racist... You know, there are people, you know, kind of sitting on another side, there are many sides here, saying, well, that doesn't mean this guy didn't kill his wife, which is, you know, perfectly true. Like, there's room for more than one crappy person. But it's also a shame that, you know, this guy's talking about civil rights and how, like, 
people are picketing for OJ as a victim. I mean, what's problematic is that, like, first of all, there are victims, but these are this is the victim, quote unquote, who's, um, you know, being prosecuted for something really violent and terrifying. And, you know, they're sad that he's being mistreated, which, you know, like, if people want to believe that, that, you know, I understand it. But, like, there are actual crime victims, and they're still victims. Like, these are people who were killed. Like, there's, you know, this idea that they were framed, but, well, that he was framed, but by who did the actual thing? There's no focus on these poor people who died. And also, like, they couldn't find a better civil rights example than this, like, you know, football hero who had everything going for him. Do you regret that? Turning OJ into a civil rights cause? They're like, no. So they were just, you know, they're happy to have injustice exposed, which I guess makes sense. You know, if this is a way to be respected, to treat better, etc. But, yeah, it's so awful. Like, everything is awful at the same time. And, like, but the awful thing of these victims never having, you know, that justice in this trial is is hard to see. Especially since we have seen the physical evidence of it. And she has to defend all these people. Like, Marsha is definitely... Oh, don't say the race card. You, you're... That's racist, Marsha. Ugh. There's no card that you play. It's life. Life is hard. And racism is real. What's the N-word they keep talking about? Nicole... And yes, that's true, but that's a really, like, heavy-handed gambit, Marsha. Only two excerpts of the Furman tapes may be presented to the jury. Well, also, like, how, how many months has it been? Yeah, what they let in was enough. That's exactly right. Like... You know, how, how much information do you want to overload these people with? Yep. It is a slap every time you hear it. I respect that. Oh. Who are these people all saying it? Well, that's not the same thing either. Like, yeah, I mean, he's right that there was no proof that evidence was planted, but at the same time, like, this guy is trash, and, like, if he's not a credible witness, they need to call that out especially since he wanted to be transferred away like that makes sense too 
mean, this guy's trying to, like, justify himself, and he just comes off as so terrible. I was so fair. Ah. I didn't use tasers. I didn't use sticks. When I fought a suspect, I fought straight up. Like, that's not a thing to brag about. I mean, don't hit anybody with a stick, but how about, like, never hit a person? There was a time that I was pretty violent. And, of course, he wanted to be transferred to South Africa, which is, like, you, that doesn't work. That's not how anything works. You don't just get to go to a foreign country to kill people. Gosh, that's extremely racist. And now he has to go back and Marsh is like, oh my god. I hate this. Yeah. So this guy lies. Just, so she's not even on the side of these people. And she's like, I know you couldn't have, you know, planted this glove, but you're also, like, terrible. And that's the thing. Like, you want to say no to everything, but if he has to take the fifth for everything, then he has to take the fifth. So people assume the fifth makes you look guilty. So he has to say it for everything. Which I guess is useful since, I mean, in our country today, we're involved in all these different, um, uh, we see so many different trials and things like that. I don't know, maybe I'm just exposed to it. All right, so we've got more questions. Did you plan or manufacture any evidence in this case? And he has to take the fifth. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's what he should have said. Lay it out because you got nothing to lose. And of course, this guy's terrified. You know, yeah. Like, as it, his lawyer said, you know, and he did what his lawyer said. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, this guy's. I, I mean, I don't feel sorry for him. Whoa, what kind of deal is that? Daughter in 1991. Son in 1993. Group of friends. Yeah, a diverse group of friends. He thought he was going to be okay. Right. 
Then he answers the phone. Yeah, I mean, like, it sounds like that sucks, but, like, there's just, you know, like, if you look at the tragedy here, I mean, not that you should rank tragedy, but, like, could he have controlled the way he spoke about people? Yes. Was he an adult at that time? Also, yes. Were Nicole and Brown, N Nicole Brown and Ron Goldman not receiving justice? Also, yes. You know, like, this is, you know, this is not a good person and something bad happened to him because of that and he was finally happy, etc., etc. But, like, you know, he's in a, he was an adult the whole time. But, yeah, a lot of white people thought he was guilty. And a lot of black people did not. I mean, like, the life narratives and the life stories intersected in a really controversial way. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier in this episode, you know, the, the, the victim who tends to draw the most sympathy or the victims, you know, would be like a beautiful blonde white woman and, you know, a young man with a lot of promise. And that's, you know, Ron Goldman and Nicole Simpson. You know, these people were loved um, and lovely and had a lot of potential. And, you know, life is ahead of them. Um, you know, but at the same time, the victim, or not the victim, the... Um, the defendant you will have sympathy for is a black man caught up in the system. So it's like the victim you have the most sympathy for and the defendant you worry is not going to get a fair trial intersect with each other. It must have sucked to have to prosecute this case knowing kind of at the beginning that everyone, like, hates it all and doesn't like you. So there's the jury. They're listening with half an ear, they admit. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I mean, he still doesn't know what he was doing. Like, I mean, if I were in a position where I'd had a fight with my ex, and then I went home to my house on the, before I went to the airport to fly somewhere, and let's say I did nothing at all, I would still remember what the nothing was. I would still remember what I looked at and who I talked to and like what it felt like to be there. Um, I wouldn't be a giant question mark, even if I had no phone. Um, you know, because right after you know what's happened and you're like replaying all the events in your head.
And here we go. I've got a phrase. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. There you go, the glove. It's not the heart of the summation. Whose side are you on? That's right. Are you on the side of the police or are you on the side of the man who is a victim of circumstances? And they're calling that's what OJ is. It's incredibly successful at changing the conversation. However, I mean, I, all I think about is what it would be like to be these victims' families and sit in that room and have no one care. I mean, it's so awful. And as we kind of, as we learned in the first episode, as we learned in the second episode, um, you know, he didn't see himself as, I mean, he overtly says he doesn't see himself as black several occasions. He sees himself as OJ, as some kind of like post-racial being. And, you know, in this case, he's like, well, you know, but it's racism. And it's hard. It's because, yes, racism is real. Racism exists. That Furman guy is terrible. Um, the defense was right to look and say, okay, well, we're probably, we probably don't have to scratch that hard to find some racist guy because it's LAPD. Um, yeah, that's what she's saying, who wanted nothing to do with the black community. I mean, I, I you know, I can't understand much of that, but, and I wouldn't presume to speak for someone, but I mean, they had to restage his house. Meanwhile, these people are killed and, and it's totally lost and it's disrespectful. Yeah, there's Rod's father. They're willing to go anywhere to get the killer off. Yeah, it's not honorable. It's not right. <sighs> it's awful. It's so awful. Oh, is it going to be Hitler? Is it going to be Hitler? Yep. There's going to be a Hitler comparison. And Ron Goldman was Jewish. And this is wrong. This is very wrong what he did. So he's comparing OJ to a victim of Hitler. Meanwhile, Ron Goldman's family actually experienced anti-Semitism. That was really irresponsible. It's like you don't even care about the victims at all. They don't even mention the victims. <sighs> oh, this poor guy. Well, you can't necessarily call him a racist, but...
this guy, this poor guy is, I mean, he's right about like how disgraceful it is. It really is. It's just so sad. Yeah, it's just, this is how you act, though, if it's your son. And I mean, months and months and months of sitting there listening and then having to listen to this. Even the other attorneys... You know, and people are asking him if he went too far, that people are offended by that. I mean, yeah, we know that, like, you know, the Hitler was a eugenicist and a racist and terrible, but that doesn't mean... That's not playing the race card. That's, like... Again, you have a Jewish victim in Ron Goldman. You can't say that the people advocating him are, like... Hitler. That doesn't... No, you just can't do that. I mean, the, yeah. He's... Yeah, he's right. I mean, there's no... There is no card. Yeah, there is no card. I don't agree with that they really played the evidence card either, but I certainly agree that, you know... The sign behind it, Marsa is bitching. Johnny's all right. Ito rules. <laughs> weird. People are weird. <laughs> I think they printed that out on like a dot matrix printer. I mean, they were doing their job. Yeah, so they're like, this is trying to, you know, defend people, wake them up to racism, that this is real. And, you know, it is, like, that's the thing. Everybody has a point. All the points about racism make sense. You know, you see evidence for it. You know, and yet, these victims... But why don't they object to it? Yeah, exactly. Why didn't they object to it? Yeah, why weren't they fighting against it the whole time? Yeah, civil rights victim. Yeah, hero. It is disgusting. It is appalling. He's right. Shapiro was Jewish as well. He's waiting till the jury verdict. Of course. Suspenseful music, please. Here we are. Somewhere on Wilshire, maybe? Oh, it's downtown. Okay. Yeah, it's very racialized. Yeah, see? There you go. 77%. Seventy-seven percent of white people think he did it. It's it's more polarizing on both sides. Yeah. 
People versus O.J. Simpson is the trial of L.A. So here we go. Next episode, we're going to see the verdict. And we are going to learn what the aftermath is of the verdict, which in many ways is... Um, kind of shows what happened um you know one of the things we have with you know the benefit of hindsight is the ability to kind of step back and look at what a narrative is and i think in the case of simpsons we're absolutely able to do that thank you for listening uh, our final episode will be uploaded soon good night